Right, hello. It's podcast three on Paradigm Launch Week. Hopefully you've tuned in and listened to our first two deep dives into uh, Callaway's product launch process, into our views on the first hit of the Paradigm Driver. Um, it's been proper exciting week, hasn't it? Like I haven't been involved in um, many product launches like this before. Um, and there's, there's an awful lot goes into it, like the 11 p.m. deadline on um, Tuesday, whenever it was. Um, it was like a proper buzz, like building up to that. You knew that um, loads of people around the world were all working towards the same deadline. And then when everyone's content came out, you're really keen to see what other people had to say about the product. Obviously keen to see what people were saying about our content. Um, and it was, I don't know, I just find the whole thing quite exciting, despite the late nights and the early mornings. What are you saying? We're all just running on adrenaline from like lack of sleep, but excitement about golf clubs. Yeah, I think, I think, but I think, and I think you could tell that in some of the, um, the sort of output, like if, if, if the job of a brand is to try and generate product excitement about their new product, I think Callaway have absolutely nailed that because perhaps because they've been first after Christmas, perhaps because it is the first sort of big commercial thing that's happened this year. We've all been sort of sleepy and full of turkey and now we're kind of back in work and stimulated again. But to me, it's like, I don't know, find it a very, very, very invigorating few days. And it obviously it all helps that the product is um, a paradigm changer. Um, but people do seem to um, be loving the product, right? Yeah, I think that launch event they did in the States helped as well because there were so many people there. And then like putting content out from Top Golf with the new stuff. So like it wasn't just content of reviews going out at like that deadline. There was loads of other different stuff as well. Yeah, I think it's been it's been brilliant. And it's I think it's important to say, so we've we've produced two YouTube videos. So we've got a review of the, of the new driver, all three different iterations of that on our YouTube channel. So do go and check that out. We've got uh, the same for the new Paradigm Irons. Um, I've noticed quite a lot of people watching that on YouTube. The driver obviously tends to be the big story around launches, but um, the irons are similarly um, successful. Um, and then this is just the start, isn't it? So we're chatting to uh, Callaway today and the focus of this podcast is Callaway, but it's important to say that this is the start of a massive month for equipment. There's loads and loads of other launches coming. So do keep an eye on um, our uh, social channels on our website on our youtube channel for all that new stuff um and we're giving away a paradigm driver so that's pretty you cool you two are allowed to enter i feel like we should have put them there in the terms and conditions <laughs> i not actually thought about that <laughs> i didn't know we couldn't i was i definitely will enter that but yeah so uh callaway have offered up a custom fit uh paradigm drivers to sort of celebrate their launch to national club golfer readers so you can enter that on our website so do do go and do that um, so today it's the third, the third and final sort of deep dive into Callaway, uh, their product testing process, their R&D process. Uh, there's two others uh, on our podcast channel, so do go and listen to those. And today we're going to hear from Evan, Ewan, Evan, 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 Evan Gibbs. He's the Evan. director of R&D for Metalwood. And he's been at Callaway for 23 years. Yes, that's a long time, isn't it? That's an impressive stint. That's what nearly my entire lifetime. Well, it's bonkers, isn't it? Because that means, so 23, we're in that, what we're now in 2023. So he's been there since 2000. So he would have been there through Great Big Bertha and the whole thing. So he's seen an awful lot of Callaway product and an awful lot of life cycle. So what he's got, there's probably nothing he doesn't know about how to bring a driver to market. There's lots of things that we don't know about how to bring a driver to market, but that's not going to stop us speculating uh, on today's podcast. So I wanted to have a bit of a chat through um, 
some of the some ideas that we have around R and D, um, some of the things that we think go into um, new products, and then we'll hear from the expert hopefully to kind of get us back on the straight and narrow. Um, so what what do we think like the, the the actual variables are in in a golf driver? Because there's there's only so much you can change, right? There's not there's not loads to it. It's a lump of metal on the end of another lump of metal at the end of the day. So what like you're the you're the gear expert here, Hannah. What are what are the variables? What can they change? I feel like the first thing is figuring out how many models you're gonna make because how do you know what variables you're gonna change unless you know who you're trying to target? Because like you don't know that you want loads less spin unless you decide you're gonna have a really low spinning driver. Yeah. You don't know that you want more MOI unless you're gonna have a really forgiving model. And obviously the best of both worlds is you have a really good balance of everything. But it's basically physically impossible to have like really low spin and really high MOI just because of where you put the weight in the head to get both of those things is like completely polar opposite places. But I think um at the moment a lot of it is improving forgiveness because obviously the rules are fairly stingent on like distance. So you're really kind of eking out small gains there rather than bigger gains that I think can still be made on the forgiveness side. So are you saying that my dream of having the Paradigm triple diamond model as mega forgiving is basically never going to happen? Well, I think you need a head that spins more anyway. Well, Jack needs a head yeah. that spins more. Just a dig at me there, thanks. Personal, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, so you've, you've gone off in a very technical direction there. So I was thinking the variables are things like the shaft, the face, the head materials, the grip. Like what are the component parts they can change? Well, obviously the club head, but I think... You need to look at that in two parts, like the club face and the rest of the head, because they can do a lot of different things there. Because think about how much they control variables such as spin, launch, etc., just with the like texture they put on the back of the club face. And then obviously they can do that with CG location, which is more like the rest of the head. Then you've got like hosel design, because that massively affects like CG, which affects like launch, spin, where you can put other weight. And yeah. The shaft and the grip, yeah. I like you are you're doing your thinking face, which is which is great for me because I understand that you give it your deep in thought about it. I feel like we need a noise. No, I had a thinking Hannah face. is thinking like countdown. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been I've been watching quite a lot of other people's content the last twenty four hours in between not sleeping, um, and I watched Crossfield's video, um, but he had, he was talking about tolerances, um and how manufacturers sort of are right on the limit of um, the legal limit of face tolerances and thinness of face and how often that is a really big factor in the manufacturing process. So how how true do you think that is? And, and it, how much do you think that Callaway have pushed that with this paradigm? I think a lot of improvements in the last few years have been down to tighten in those manufacturing tolerances. Because if you think about it, as much as they try to make every single piece that comes out identical like that's a very very hard thing to do so you're always going to have to have your stuff sit slightly below the legal limit to allow for the fact that some models are going to be basically on it through manufacturing tolerances there was a time wasn't there or a tournament or was it the open where a load of players had their drivers tested and they were all outside of the allowable tolerances i mean that can happen through hitting of the product like if you got a driver and hit it for a year as a tour player and you're hitting like hundreds of balls every day the face can wear so they can go illegal anyway 
regardless of just how they came out of the factory because the manufacturer will test each one before they give it to a tar player. Yeah. So if you use a driver for a long time, it might go illegal without you knowing. Oh, yeah, most definitely will do because the face wears and then it gets thinner and then you get more ball speed and then it fails the CT test. So when I've been having lessons off Jack for years and years and years and just beating balls and he's going, oh, look, you're getting faster and faster, you're hitting it further and further. It's actually just because my driver face is getting thinner. That's the I'm secret. Not sure, I'm not sure you hit enough golf balls. I, mean, I think you also change your driver regularly enough for that not to happen. I'm getting fatter and my driver face is getting thinner and all of that is leading to more ball speed. Exactly. So like <laughs> it's a when win-win. we started here, I had a driver that I'd had for five years and it was really hard for anyone to get it out of my bag because it was battered, but it went further. Right. Got you. What was that? No, you don't want to say, D, because it's not a Callaway. It was a Callaway, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Look at her face. Hannah's now doing a laughing face. That's the wrong... That's not Countdown, is it? That's the wrong theme tune. We really need to move this podcast to a video. Um, so, yeah. how, so, okay, so there's lots of different things they can change, can alter. So let's let's play your the R and D department. So if you're if you're if you're the person who's in charge of the 2025 Callaway driver, and someone says to you, right, we're gonna we're starting again here. We want we've recruited you because we want some fresh ideas. What where do you start? Like what how are you doing it? What does uh the Hannah Hannah bomb Hannah what would it be called? What what does what does what does your where how does your driver R and D process start? I don't, it's quite difficult to start afresh, isn't it? Because you're sort of looking what we've talked about in the other podcast is we're sort of building on the last driver and the last driver and the last driver that you know it's quite starting again sort of almost would never happen would it well they are yeah i'm asking you to use the other side of your brain so if i had the rogue driver in my hand and i was trying to do it again but better basically which is what they had that is the situation isn't it Mm -hmm. i think the first thing i would have looked at was the shaping because i think that driver performed really well well I've heard it as the best driver from last year and the only kind of negative was the shaping was quite big so like how do you go about making that smaller because if you make it smaller then you're losing forgiveness because you can't get as much weight on the outside if you've used the same construction and materials as before so that's a problem isn't it yeah yeah and would you do you think you would focus on um distance or do you think you'd focus on how forgiving it is or what do we say now? Downrange dispersion. It's really hard to do this without thinking about your own game and what you'd want, isn't it? Well, that's just that's maybe just your tendency as an R and D expert is that you you've, you're very inward looking. That's fine. I, I don't, don't think... beat yourself up about it. You just do you. I, I don't think you can look at distance because if if you sort of assume that we're going to go max on all the tolerances that we're allowed anyway, it's got to be so it has to be about forgiveness. I mean, you you're really trying to make the best looking head which generally is smaller and more compact, but as forgiving as possible. Sorry, so Jack, Jack's policy, you're not going to, you're going to bring a, mark, a driver to market and you're not going to say this one's longer. Well, I think you're going to go bust. Maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but again, maybe I'm just uh, looking at my own game and I need something more forgiving. Although I drive a Volvo and uh, it's a XC90, which is like a big sort of four by four thing. No one's ever died in a Volvo XC90. I, I, every time anyone gets in, I tell them. So I'm like my I'm focusing on its features and benefits from a safety point of view, which I guess is the car equivalent of forgivingness. 
So I think there is there is something in the forgiving story. But surely with driver, you've got to try and make it go further, no? Yeah, but I. But Jack's not listening as his number one priority. Yeah, it's not my it's not my number one. I I think all drivers every year are long, mm. and maybe marginally longer. But it's like what we're saying it, with the sort of limits put on the driver, they can only sort of almost be so long. So why not push it to its tolerances so it's as long as it's going to be? But then focus tick that box and then move on to how do we make this completely more forgiven than anything ever has been before got you got you i think right. sometimes callaway and they would admit this have had a really good product but it hasn't had much shelf appeal so people have maybe not tried it because something else looks better whereas this year i think that's not the case at all i think they're probably one of the best looking drivers of the year so i think that's also something to consider like how you make it look because it's all well and good having a great product but if no one picks it up off the shelf to try it yeah like it's no good i was thinking about this right so i just think they need to change how you display golf clubs in a pro shop because you look at the soul so they spend all this money on jazzy souls but you never you never see the soul again do you it's the only time you ever see it it's ridiculous but if they just had a shelf that was the other way up they could have just nice boring souls and no one would care <laughs> this is so what i'm think... thinking about when he's meant to be asleep I'd start off by developing some new shelves. That'd be my starting point. And then I could save money on sole design. Brilliant. Anyway, shall we see what actually happens at a proper company uh, and see what Evan says that Callaway do about um, bringing a new product to market? Once one product cycle then has ended and you know you're about to start designing a new product, what does that look like and kind of how do you start that process? Do you have like specific goals you're trying to hit or certain performance markers you're trying to beat and how do you decide if you're going to kind of stick with the same say slots of three drivers or if you think you need to tweak it to different consumers for the next year so you know we're constantly learning about um you know looking at the market um seeing what products are, are resonating with consumers uh, looking for any opportunities to make these better. So a lot of it is learning from what's in the market currently, uh, and not just our clubs, but competitors as well. Um, and you know, and then looking for opportunities to make them better. I think it's almost like kind of problem solving, but also realizing like I think it's quite interesting with Callaway because you tend to do like your two year cycle. So one year you'll have like, especially in fair, it was like fixed heads, and then one year you'll have more adjustable models. Can you chat a bit about how that adjustability in the hosel actually affects the rest of the club head design? Yeah, you know, in Fairywoods, we've kind of bounced back and forth adjustable hosels uh, one year and then not the other. I think, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of functionality uh, to having an adjustable hosel. You can uh, shaft interchangeability, uh, give the players the ability to adjust loft and lie. Um, but you know, it does take a lot of mass high in the head. So it tends to raise the center of gravity a little bit, um, which can create, uh, more backspin and, and sometimes lose a little distance. So, uh, it has been a trade-off in the past. And I think that's actually one of the unique things about, uh, the paradigm fairy woods in that, uh, we have adjustable hosels, but they actually spin slightly less, uh, than rogue. Um, so that's kind of a testament to that that body construction now how big is the team that are working on these products because i imagine there's so many different areas people can be like researching and working on which is not even actually attached to necessarily 
designing a specific golf club so the team could just be infinitely massive really yeah there's over over 100 in in uh, r&d uh some of them uh work on different categories um but we also have a, a advanced uh innovation and research team uh and they're really looking at developing new technologies new processes um that are kind of applicable across all all categories and so they're not just looking at the next year's product, but looking at things, you know, a couple of years, a uh, couple of years out. Because presumably you get a case where you might develop some new materials or way of using materials in clubs or different technologies, but you're not in a position where you can either kind of mass produce them yet or get it into the rest of the club head. So you're kind of always developing things in the hope you will be able to use them at some point in the future. Yeah, and that's a big challenge for us because, you know, a lot of times we can develop a, a technology or a new material um, that, uh, you know, we can make a prototype in, but it's, uh, to your point, how do you make a couple hundred thousand of them? And how do you uh, transfer that technology uh, over to our suppliers uh, so that we can make these parts, uh, uh, make many of many parts and make them consistently how much of the design problem is figuring out how to put the pieces together well that was a big part for paradigm for sure because we had kind of uh, on the driver four kind of unique components that mm -hmm. were uh had to be all all bonded together um and so uh that was a big uh challenge from a manufacturing perspective um to be able to do that uh, in a way efficient way and to do it very consistently. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? So this guy works for literally one of the world's biggest sporting brands. They've presumably got one of the world's biggest R&D teams from a sports equipment point of view. Um, and you, you, I don't think your brain really goes there because you're so kind of like immersed in the world of golf and you're kind of complacent about the fact that all the new product that comes out is always good. What did he say? 150 people working in uh, their development team. Just said well over 100 so yeah well, thinking about that mark i'd imagine if you it must be 150 there because if it was any more than 150 you'd say almost 200 wouldn't you so let's say it's 150 people that's a lot of people working on developing new products so you you were asking him like you're working up to a, a new product launch coming out and trying to develop a product for 2023 and the way you asked the question i think sort of supposed that that development cycle started in 2022 as in they got the old product to bed and then they thought right let's get cracking on the next one um but that, I, I can't imagine that's how it works like certainly uh, if there's a parallel with engineering in other sports like from an f1 perspective quite often an f1 team would almost write off an entire season because they're saying actually this year we're just going to sort of tweak last year's car because we've got this huge development coming for the following season and they'll be working on very very long lead times in terms of that development so i I would, and he presumably can't say, but you would imagine that there is technology being worked in the, on in the background that is just nowhere near market ready yet, but they know if they can get it to a point where it is mass producible or is engineerable, if that's even a word, then it will be a game changer. So you would have thought that something like Paradigm, which is a paradigm shifter, has been a long time coming, as in it didn't start at 12 months ago, it started more like five years ago. I think there's different areas that start at different times isn't this there's going to be sections of those teams who are just working on different things that are concepts that they hope will be able to be used in the future so there's mm -hmm. like most manufacturers have say like a materials team that are literally just looking at 
either different ways to construct the materials so say like carbon like how you're going to layer it if you're going to forge it or if you're going to use like a different way of putting the carbon together looking at like different lightweight materials and how you can use them different types of each material strength testing them loads of different stuff so you just got people who are just looking at materials before you even start looking at anything else so there's teams who are just doing like future research to say how can we make this little bit better yeah and then there's going to be like that main team that move from driver to driver so obviously they wouldn't have just started it after rogue was out but at some point they stopped designing rogue and it oh, went yeah. to manufacture so like there's a transition page but oh, yeah. I think they're working so much further ahead than people think I would say so, yeah. And I, but yeah, to your point now, I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be a slow, slow, quick process. I think it's going to be like this. Would this is conceptual? This is conceptual. Okay, we've got it this far, and then there'll be some urgency and some requirement to get something to market. Absolutely, and that last year, I imagine, is um, pretty full on. I, how long do you reckon you could last in the concept team? I want a job in that department, the bit where it's like uh. futuristic, because. That's like you could get away with loads there, couldn't you? No, we've not got anything yet. Oh, we've been trying this thing, which is like looks a bit like a starfish that hasn't worked. Like that that's the department you want to be in, right? The, the sort of long term big ideas department. There's no feature been in the testing department where you have to actually do something. <laughs> I've actually been in the R and D department in Carlsbad for California. It's very cool. It is very like all white, literal like big box you feel like oh god should I be in here but it's weird because and as I kind of alluded to talking to him at one point they build the stuff completely differently in R&D to how it's manufactured so they can have custom like machines where they can just mill like a part and it's ready but it's a very expensive way of creating a part so you're not going to do that when you manufacture the products otherwise it would be like thousands of pounds for each golf club yeah. So I think s- still a lot of the problem is how you can manufacture the parts well for the mass consumer and also how you c- create that dialogue with the manufacturers because obviously, especially in recent years, people have not been able to travel abroad to where most of the factories are. So like I've known cases where manufacturers have had someone in the factory with an iPhone like on a strap around the neck walking around the factory to show them like how they've got stuff set up because they could not physically be able to get out there so a lot of it is like communication to manufacturers and seeing what they can do to actually create the tech that you've designed yeah do all the people in the um, r&d team look like emmett brown no <laughs> do, you know just... who, do you know do you know who emmett brown is no you don't know who you but... say you just said no exactly yeah right. i've just guessed but i mean everyone looks different so they can't all look like one person can they He's the doctor of uh, Back to the Future. Uh, it is very cool when you go in and they've just like got all these designs <laughs> on the computer and they're just flipping through them and then they press a button and a machine starts making them. And you're like, yeah, but could they design what? a DeLorean that travelled back in time? Probably. No. Well, exactly. So they've got nothing. <laughs> they've got what nothing. I think is interesting now is the design process and their ability to get better from model to model happens a lot quicker because they use all this AI technology and because people are like doing, forgotten what the word is. Testing? Like they're doing testing virtually. So like they can create a golf club head and design it and then test it on the computer to see how it performs. Shut up. Whereas before they would have to create a design, 
make it into a club head, go and put it on a robot. Amazing, isn't it? That's witchcraft. It's amazing. That would take forever. So, like, you've gone from, like, a days-long process to, I think they can test a new driver model now in, like, 10 minutes. That's faster than us. But that's, like, actually, like, it's mental. I think that's mental. So imagine how many more models and, like, design iterations you can go through each cycle because it takes, like, this length of time to test it. Yeah, we talked about this on ye- on yesterday's yesterday's podcast, whenever it was, the last podcast. Uh, I think that's the, fundamentally the, one of the biggest step forwards in the last few years is the testing process. Yeah, and I think that's massively. that's that's why you're getting these leaps forward, and also why everything that comes out now works. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing because they don't have to give it to someone, and one person happens to hit it well, and then it doesn't for someone else. Like it's so rigorously tested, yeah, they yeah, can yeah. put so many variables in, like. Test it at this club head speed with this like attack angle and this that, and yeah. then they can see if it works. And they can do that for like however many different like kind of golfers swing it's, numbers. I think it's a bit of a shame in many ways. I think it, I think the the AI and the sort of robot testing. You haven't said supercomputer for at least forty eight hours. That's good. Um, I think all that kind of stuff means that we're not going to get perhaps the sort of funky things that we had in the background, which kind of theoretically worked. Um, in, sorry, the funky things we had in the olden days where the, they theoretically worked, but then they were, when they were sort of brought to market, they just maybe didn't really, and they were kind of exposed as being a bit gimmicky. Um, there's been a few of those over the years, hasn't there? You do any thinking face again. This is the bit where you go, oh, yeah, I really, I remember that funky club. The one that always sticks in my head is a thing called the Cleveland Vass Iron. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> I think Corey Pavin might have even won a US Open with it. But basically an iron that had no hosel, so you couldn't shank it. <laughs> oh, I've heard about this. I have heard about this. So the, the 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 shaft went into the head, like, I don't know, about half an inch from where the hosel would be. And then it sort of, so the the head sort of looped round in, and that the shaft was not not on the end, if that makes sense. So there was no hosel. Um, I guess it, it was... A bit like you, a hybrid, I guess. No, it was no. a proper iron head. You know, you know how Bryson swings it now and it's sort of quite upright because of the one length thing. It's yeah. a little bit like that, but the shaft was making you do it because it was um, further into the iron head. They like they were a thing for a bit. Yeah. Sounds awful. Yeah. And then we've had square headed drivers, right? They came and went. Yeah. Don't really know what the problem was with them. You know what the problem was with them? Did you ever hit one? Uh, no, I don't think I did. Well, then you, you, if you, you would have known what was wrong with them had you hit one. Probably quite fast to get speed with such a big club head. No. Um, we've had, and then I think the other the other side of this AI stuff is that you've had things that have come to market which have been a good idea, and then we're now seeing them come back again because like carbon's been before and mm. gone away and come back again. Titanium was a thing in the nineties and then went away again because it felt bloody awful, but then it sort of returned, but used in a better way. Um, this idea that you touched on the other day about. Um, totally personalized drivers where the face is manufactured almost uniquely for you that's sort of come before where people have had faces that you can take in and out that help you if you slice it or draw it but because the tech doesn't really work on a from a manufacturing point of view it's then been ditched as an idea so it feels to me that maybe we've had all the ideas but we just haven't quite had the supercomputer big enough to test them or the engineering capability to bring them to market um and I think, I think a lot of it comes back to that manufacturing point, because like you talk about with carbon, carbon is really hard to weld to other materials without using a lot of materials. I love when you say that, like, like you're a welder. 
you've like delivered that with such like kind of like <laughs> it's so difficult to get this carbon to stick to anything she's three years okay. on, the, on the on the building site before she started from, working from what i've been told yeah it's very hard to get carbon to attach to the rest of the club head so half the battle is just getting it to hold together without wasting loads and loads of weight with like glue and stuff but one of the uh, one of the youtube comments we had was about how Callaway had previously had a carbon head. It was like the FT9 or something like that. But it was, they obviously not got it quite right because I remember that club being impossible to hit. Like another one where it's long out the middle, but anything out the middle was just atrocious. Yeah. So it's like they've attempted it before. They obviously didn't have the computer and didn't work. So they sort of like moved away from it. But now they've figured out a way of getting it to work yeah. with Hannah's welding skills. It's sort of, it can work now. They probably did have a computer, but didn't have a super computer. Yeah, maybe. Now they've got one of those. The problem is you can have something that's really light, but if there isn't heavy weights in the correct places. And I, I, that's my assumption of looking back. That was probably the problem with it. it was, yeah. All the weight was in the face, nothing at the back, and uh, just couldn't get it in the air. Mm. So, the, the, the what's his name again? Evan did have some really interesting stuff to say about tour prayer involvement in the testing process. Although I was a bit sceptical about one of the players being involved. I don't know what you thought about that. Why? Well, I don't know. We'll have to listen to what he's got to say. But I was just thinking, really? I was like, I don't know. I just, I just I didn't really, couldn't really make the link between that particular player and having input into golf club design for some reason. Are you talking? My guess is Phil here. But I'm yeah, not yeah. Sure. yeah. Why it's not? Like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a sort of serious enough individual. I sort of. So it feels to me like he's like a sort of field player, like everything's just done on. He's like super talented, isn't he? It's all he's like a very natural golfer. He doesn't doesn't appear to be someone who would be well in, into well the intricacies of product. You'd also think that though he's been such a poor driver of the ball, he might have very specific requirements from a driver that he's looking. Well, for. he has two. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, but, but that's the that's part of the problem, isn't it? But feel is still a huge part of a product. Because no matter how well something performs, if it sounds and feels terrible, people won't use it. So even if he was just feeding back on that. But also, it's like someone who's consistent enough to know when the club is doing something different to what they think it should do. But that's when the top players come in the most. Anyway, we're just giving half the game away. Should we hear yeah, let's see about how they use players for testing? How much do the players get involved with you in terms of kind of testing and trying new stuff out? Uh, they're a huge part. I mean... Um... You know, it's it's uh, obviously great to have access to the best players in the world um, uh, to be able to kind of validate the, the the product and help provide feedback uh, throughout the development. Um, but like I said, we're designing these for uh, not just tour players, but for for everyone. So we do uh, a ton of uh, consumer testing as well. Is there any specific tour players that you were work with who are like really good in terms of like giving feedback on new products um phil has been phil mickelson has been um kind of an instrumental part uh of our uh, process uh the last couple years um and xander shoffley as well uh he lives here in san diego so uh he can come in and, and test a little bit more often than some of the other players um so i'd say those two probably uh um, more than anyone else. <laughs> I wonder if it's as hard for them as it is for other, like us in the media who gets to first to be able to test stuff and then not be able to talk about it. 
Yeah, that's always uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things they say is it's you know they they love being a part of the process, but then when we tell them that they can't play it for <laughs> six months, uh, they don't like that as much. We're all the same. We just want new kit. Right. <laughs> now you've been working on Callaway products for well, you've been at Callaway for a long time now. What would you say is the technology that like has helped drivers evolve the most in that time? Yeah, I've been at Callaway for 23 years, so I've seen, uh, had my hands on a, on a lot of products. Um, you know, two areas I think uh, that jump out: uh, jailbreak for sure. That was a, a huge breakthrough for us um, back in 2017, and and kind of changed the way that we uh, think about drivers and the way that we design them. Um, and then the the AI technology, um, it's just changed, uh, tr- really transformed the way we design drivers and um, some of the things that we're able to do now um, using the face to, to not just generate more speed, but to influence uh, other aspects of the launch conditions has uh, been a big breakthrough. Yeah, I think people are almost like underestimate the AI because it's been a story for a few years now. They just get used to it, but I think the amount of right. different areas it's influencing. Could you just chat through like all the different stuff that you're kind of putting into that system and that it is influencing in terms of kind of what you've said there, like spin, downrange, dispersion, et cetera? Yeah, the, uh, I mean, the AI technology, I think we have, it's maybe 30,000 lines of code now uh, for that. So it's not uh, software you can just buy off the shelf. This is software that we've uh, created uh, specific for our our use, and so we're taking uh, all the data that we collect from players in terms of uh, tendencies of their head uh, head delivery, uh, impact location, uh, speed, uh, and you know putting that all into uh, the computer to try and get uh, the best outcome we can. How much has that technology evolved since you started working with it? So it's a really only the last couple of years that we've really leveraged uh, uh, that, those sort of uh, uh, complex uh, algorithms. I think from, so the first year you brought the AI in, it was much more simplified than it is now. Yeah, like I said, when we first brought it in, it was really focused on creating more, more speed, uh, more ball speed, more consistent speed. Uh, and now we're starting to use uh, the deflection of the face uh, to help uh, influence uh, launch angle and and backspin and sidespin. So yeah, Xander, who knew, product engineer. The other interesting thing I think he had to say is about about the uh, the big breakthroughs of being jailbreak and uh, the AI. So I'm loving the fact he says the AI because I think I'm going to keep I'm going to say that to people. If I get asked what's the biggest development in golf club technology, I'm going to say testing. It's right dinner party chat that isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Uh, and it, we talked, we touched on this the other day about um, AI. Uh, sorry, about the jailbreak stuff. That that has kind of stood the test of time. So that's something that's now just part of the Callaway DNA almost, um, which is testimony to that being a piece of tech that is obviously working for them and they're going to stick with. Um, and that's I think as a consumer, that's a really interesting thing to watch out for. Um, it's interesting because so- it started in just driver and now it's in literally everything. So it runs like all the way down into the hybrids this year and you could argue some of the structure in the irons is like jailbreak themed although it's not exactly the same 
kind of made me, reminded me of it when you were talking about that club without the hosel because actually the hosel design this year in the hybrid is actually part of the jailbreak. So they've thought, how can we use this like hosel that is a bit annoying because it's adjustable, so it's moving weight high up, and can we make it part of another tech so it's like actually worth using the weight? Yeah, yeah. Well, the ho- yeah, hosel's very annoying bit, isn't it? It's like you really don't want it, but you've got to do something with it. Um, and it, the whole the whole paradigm thing, like it just feels like a very very efficient golf club, doesn't it? It's kind of compact. It feels like they haven't wasted a single millimeter of of any of the headspace. Um, right. I feel quite sad because I feel like I've sort of reached the end of kind of paradigm content. Um, I think there's plenty of paradigm content yet to come. Yeah, but we've stopped just... making it. So what have we got? What have we got coming? We've got we've got two videos on the YouTube channel. We've got endless reviews on the website of each of the each of the new products, hybrids, fairways, driver, irons, all the different iterations of those things. We'll be doing some head to head videos when the weather gets better comparing um, this driver versus the old driver in more detail, maybe this driver versus some competitors. There's a competitor on, there's a competition on the site now so you can win one. Uh, you'll be able to buy it in February. Yeah, yeah, 23rd of Feb. 23rd of February. So people have to wait about six weeks till it's on shelves. Um, we've got a few extra products left, left to test. So we've got the Paradigm X irons, because we've only hit the Paradigm so far. And there's the, been a few. that fairway. And then we've got a fair, another fairwood, another hybrid to hit. So. Okay, so it's like the long goodbye to paradigm testing season. Goodness for <laughs> and that. And obviously, there's going to be lots of best ofs with all the other new kits, so we can see how yeah. it gets on against the rest of. And it's it's feeling like paradigms going to have a good shot at best for forgiveness, best for being straight. Well, it was the best driver last year from the January launches, in my opinion, and this year paradigm's better than that so yeah and it also looks have a good show it also looks good so it's got a very good shot at best looking i'll tell you what hasn't been a theme this year in terms of any of the product testing is acoustics some years everyone just whaps on about acoustics having improved oh, someone but... does whap about acoustics we can't talk about it but there is a uh, a big acoustic change um coming this year oh there's some acoustics coming there is yeah. right on that noisy note if you could uh, make sure you subscribe to this uh, podcast channel on, on whatever platform you listen to, it really helps our numbers. Do go and check out the website for all this Callaway content. Lots more coming from other brands as well. Do go and enter the Callaway competition. Thanks for listening.